Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, a co-production of EWTN Radio and SpiritualDirection.com, where we provide you with a spiritual haven of rest and explore the riches of the wisdom of the saints and the path to union with God. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest. Your hermitage of the heart. Your monastery of the mind, where we lift our hearts and minds to heaven to draw upon the wisdom of the saints and the glory of the church to help us navigate the tumult of this life. And boy, are we in tumult. Uh, it's quite a crazy time. Really blessed, though, to, to have a guest today who I believe is, is doing a, a great deal to help us navigate in difficult times, both from the standpoint of his personal testimony, as well as his um, beautiful uh, skills at opening up the wisdom of uh, Catholic literature with respect to how we can um, bring story to bear on our ability to understand and follow God. So, but we're going to begin with his personal story. The, uh, the man of the moment is, is Joseph Pierce. He is an author and a professor of literature, over 30 books, lots of work for EWTN, Shakespeare's Catholicism, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Uh, he's visiting professor for literature at Ave, Ave Maria University, visiting chair at St. Thomas More College. I just spoke there uh, last week, and they spoke very highly of you there, of course, Joseph, in Merrimack, New Hampshire. And his personal website, which I'll repeat a lot because I want you all to go there, is jpierce.co. It's up on the screen for live streamers, but uh, jpearce.co. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me, Dan and Stephanie. Well, it's it's a real joy. I mean, we, we were blessed, uh, Stephanie and I. Stephanie's in Fort Worth, Texas right now. That's why she's not in the studio today, taking care of her parents. But we were blessed to just come off the Camino with Joseph and really had some eye-opening um, experiences. He gave us lectures on um, fairy stories and uh, on uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and and on uh, the work of J.R.R. Tolkien that really uh, we're going to talk about in the second version of this show, which will be live streamed out at spiritualdirection.com. But what I want to start with, Joseph, is your your uh, what you chronicle in Race with the Devil, your journey from racial hatred to rational love. It's really it's it's the, it's a witness to the power of the gospel that a Jew in me, a former skinhead, you, Costa Rican uh, uh, in Fort Worth, are sitting here talking together. Why don't you just give us a, a thumbnail sketch of how you got into this radical racial hatred uh why why would somebody so intelligent as you be lured into something like that well yes yeah, so again I, I do thank the lord that uh he can reconcile uh, all sorts of people to himself um obviously uh Jews are on one side and, and anti-semites such as me because i that's what, what I, I was a white supremacist i joined a neo-nazi organization so i was a racist uh and an anti-semite 
and very, very anti-Catholic. I was involved in uh, uh, the anti-Catholic terrorist organizations in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. I was a member of an anti-Catholic secret society called the Orange Order. So I'm a long, long, I was a long, long way from, from Christ and his church back in those dark days. So I joined uh, an organization called the National Front, which is this white supremacist organization, when I was only 15 years old. Um, partly out of anger at uh, the uh, immigration to the area in which I lived, which is mostly from the Indian subcontinent, um, uh, but also um, a sort of a, a, a misguided imperialism and sort of a, a seeing the British Empire in idolatrous terms, um, and an anti-Catholicism, which I really inherited from my father. So I learned a lot of this at my father's knee, and one of the hardest things in the book was coming to terms with that because I had a good relationship with my father and I would I do want to add now that he was also received into the Catholic Church 10 years before his death. Awesome. Um, so he, his, his own journey was, was one which was leading in the right direction. But when I was young, he was an angry man and I became an angry youth in consequence uh, and joined uh, the National Front as a 15-year-old and got involved in all these other uh, bad activities to which, which I've referenced already. And what was it that began to open your eyes. You know, I remember, I always loved the teaching or the history of St. Ignatius and how he was, he was a pretty violent, um, uh, warlike kind of guy as well. And uh, ready to pick a fight with anyone to conquer any woman. And then he had a, he had an event in his life that got him in convalescence. It opened his eyes a little. What opened your eyes a little at the very beginning where you begin to question, is this really the right way to live? How old were you? Uh, well, I, I, when I first started reading some good things, as opposed to just the ideology of this, uh, this uh, white supremacism, was, was probably as young as 19, although it took me the whole of the 1980s until I was 28 to actually be received in the church, because I was so far from the church, I had an awful long way to go. But, but the person who started leading me in the right direction was G.K. Chesterton. Now, you, you would never have got me to read a Catholic book uh, or, or indeed a Christian book, but I was obviously interested in politics uh, and I was opposed to Marxism and, and communism. I was also opposed to what we would now call globalism uh, and in sort of the world being run by, by, by global corporations. So I was looking for alternatives and someone said, well, have you looked at the political ideas of G.K. Chesterton? And I hadn't, but I was interested. So I began reading Chesterton. And of course, you know, that, that when you read Chesterton, you're not just reading about politics, you're reading about faith. And, and the, most, the most important thing I think I learned from him was that I was always raised to believe you had to choose between being rational or being religious, right? You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't have both. So you're gonna, you can have the comforts of religion, but only by abandoning reason, or you can you know, embrace reason and abandon the comforts of religion. But of course, Chesterton, who was effectively a Thomist, taught the, the, the indissoluble marriage between fides et ratio, between faith and reason. And that was crucial to me when I realized that belief in God was a rational proposition and not mere superstition. It led me in the right direction. Now, I had a long way to go, but by continuing to read Chesterton and through Chesterton, I met other writers such as Hilaire Belloc. Uh, and C.S. Lewis, and eventually J.R.R. Tolkien, and Thomas Aquinas. So I went to prison twice for publishing material likely to incite racial hatred, and it was during the second prison sentence that I first read The Lord of the Rings, and when I first read St. Thomas Aquinas. And so when I got out of prison the second time, I was, I was, I was in, absolutely intent 
on leaving behind my comrades, my previous lifestyle, my home, I moved to a different city and started afresh. And a couple of years after that, I was received into the church. Now, remind me, what was the first thing you read of Chesterton? Well, I was told to read one essay by him, which was called Reflections on a Rotten Apple, but it was in a book called The Well and the Shallows. So I thought, I bought this book by Chesterton. If he's worth reading, I'll start reading from page one. And the rest of that book uh, was actually a defense of the Catholic Church. So the well in the title was the Catholic Church, which has depth and life-giving water. The shallows was everything else. Um, and although I didn't agree with it all, I, I couldn't help liking Chesterton. I couldn't help liking the way he thought, liking his sense of humor, liking the way that he reasoned and used paradox. And I just found myself falling in love with the man. So um, that was uh, that was the beginning, if you like, of a love affair with Chesterton, which would lead me, uh, by the grace of God, to the threshold of the church. Fascinating. Now, what I'm not familiar with the text. Is it uh, written via analogy or story, or is it a rational argument? No, this is one of Chesterton's non-fictional works. Chesterton, of course, is a man of letters in the fullest sense of the word. He wrote poetry, novels, short stories, detective stories. Uh, but he also wrote, he was, he was a master essayist. Um, mm. And this was a collection of essays. So this was, this was argument from the perspective of faith and reason against various modern ideas. Uh, and he obviously demolished them and made me feel uncomfortable because I actually subscribed to some of those modern ideas. Fascinating. So we're talking with uh, Joseph Pierce, uh, you can find information about him at jpearce.co. And uh, his book, Race with the Devil, My Journey from Racial Hatred to Rational Love, chronicles this in detail. Won't be able to cover it all today. But so so in prison, you also, in, if I'm here listening properly and keeping track, you also ran into Tolkien and started reading Lord of the Rings. Tell me about how that affected you and why, what that did to you in terms of religious sensibilities. So, yeah, so during the first prison sentence, I was a fanatic uh, neo-Nazi and considered myself to be a political prisoner, but there was a three and a half, almost four year gap between the two prison sentences. So by the second one, I'd been reading people like Chesterton for some time and, and, and was interested in, in Christianity and Catholicism in particular. So it was in that light that I picked up The Lord of the Rings. Now, I'd meant to read it, for years. You know, it's one of those books you think you should read. Everyone else seems to have read it. But of course, it's thick. It's a thousand plus pages long. And I felt intimidated by the sheer size of it. And then I found find myself in, in, in prison with plenty of time on my hands. Uh, and this, of course, is a perfect time to pick up The Lord of the Rings. Now, I wasn't a Catholic at the time, although I was certainly on the way. And I didn't understand. I, didn't, I don't think I knew that Tolkien was Catholic. So at first, all I got out of it was this: this, this is a, 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 a cosmos in which uh, goodness requires self-sacrifice, uh, in which evil is tied up with selfishness, and there's an objective uh, uh, goodness. It's not merely there's no relativism. So th it was healthy in that sense. And then, of course, when I got out of prison, I, I continued to read and 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 uh, research Tolkien, I, I, I realized, I came to see he was a lifelong practicing and devout Catholic. And he said, and I'm quoting him here word for word, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. So then knowing this, as I was also on my own path to conversion, it made me want to go back and go deeper and, and, and to find out exactly what, where was this wealth of 
of Catholic truth and goodness to be found in the pages of, of, of the Lord of the Rings and in the, in the land of Middle Earth, where the Hobbit and other books are also based. And that was the beginning of, I suppose you might call what has been since then, a pilgrimage with Tolkien, uh, you know, a, 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 a lifelong friendship with him by the grace of God. Fascinating. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke with Divine Intimacy Radio. We're talking to Joseph Pierce about his conversion story, which you can find in Race with the Devil by Tan Books. And the subtitle is My Journey from Racial Hatred to Rational Love. And uh, you can find his works at jpearce.co. When we get back from the break, Joseph, I'd like to know, you know, you describe a lot of your journey as a very intellectual one. And, and uh, I, I can relate to that to some degree as well in my own conversion. But I'd like to get a little below the surface and have you describe how those writings affected you in your awareness in the moment and then maybe in retrospect because we all have people who are lost and I think sometimes this can be a back door to helping them to come to truths that they may not come to but that can be influenced when it's not overtly allegory like we see with C.S. Lewis. Uh, Tolkien, though, did use allegory, but in a different way. So we get back from the break. Let's jump into a little bit about that part of your story, okay? The beautiful fact that no suffering is wasted, that all suffering has a purpose. And to wrestle with the idea, which is that everything that happens in our lives is either willed or permitted by God. Okay, God, why would you permit these things? I know that you're a good father and you're a loving father. So there's something there. So I I have to bridge this gap between your permission of my suffering to your love for me as a father. And Uniformity with God's Will, the book by by St. Alphonsus Liguori, bridges that gap. And he explains, as only he can, because he's such a hard hitter, the reality that these are all moments of growth, of virtue, of, hey, your legs are weak. You're like a newborn deer. You can't stand on your own. We need to get you to stand on your own. You know, those sorts of things. Even, Even desolation. You know, the day-to-day kind of the ebbs and flows of the spiritual life. Those things are all permitted for a greater good, whatever that might be. Check out the brand new updated version of Uniformity with God's Will titled Finding Peace in the Storm with Commentary by Dan Burke. Welcome back to Divine Intimacy Radio. Dan and Stephanie Burke with Joseph Pierce, author and professor of literature, one of the most interesting people I've been blessed to meet in my life. And uh, Stephanie, why don't you kick us off with your question about what we were talking about? Well, I'm just so delighted you've joined us, Joseph. It's, you know, being on the Camino with you was amazing. And I, I just really got so much from listening to your lectures. So we've been talking about your journey back in or into the church being through your conversion story. And I guess what what I'm curious about, and you know, Dan's talked about his conversion story, and I, I had this this reversion where there was a moment when I finally gave it all over to God. And that's that's what I'm curious about. Was yours just a slow trickle, or was there this moment where you just said, okay, I, I surrender. I, I'm giving this up. I'm going, I'm going to follow this man 
this God that I've been reading about through Chesterton's work, I'm going to submit to the church um, that he's been talking about and defending. So just curious about if there was a particular moment um, when you said yes to God. Yeah, well, there, there were certainly some such moments, which I'll talk about in a, in a, in a, in a moment. But um, Gerard Manny Hopkins, the great Jesuit poet, in his poem, The Wreck of the Deutschland, talks about two different types of conversion. Here, there's the once at a crash pool and the slow melting Augustine. Uh, and of course, referring to a fact that St. Paul's literally knocked off his horse and, and, and comes to his senses, whereas St. Augustine, of course, resisted conversion for, for a very long time um, and, until eventually sort of finding his way. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a slow melting than a once at a crash. Um, so I think the whole of the 1980s was a, was a, a slow journey towards Christ. But there were certain moments. The one I talk about in my book is that on the second day of my second prison sentence, which was a 12-month sentence, I found myself clutching some rosary beads in my hand. Uh, I, I have no idea now how I got how I got those rosary beads. I'm not saying they fell like manna from heaven. It's just a mystery to me as how I got them. I can't remember. Um, but uh, I'd never, you know, I, I, I had for the I'd never prayed. Um, it wasn't part of my upbringing. We were, we were that de facto agnostics. So, but I felt this great desire to pray. But, you know, it was impossible for me to pray the rosary per se because I, I, I didn't know the Hail Mary. I didn't know the Glory Be. I didn't know the Apostles' Creed. And although I had been taught the, uh, the Our Father when I was a very young child at school, I, I'd, I'd forgotten it. But what I did was to fumble the beads and mumble inarticulate prayers uh, and this was the beginning of a relationship because answers started to flood in and what I now see as now I, I didn't at the time this actually addresses Dan's question at the end of the first section uh, first segment um, that healing also began to happen that this healing process began once I opened the channels of conversation through prayer um, this grace started to pour into me and this great desire to go to mass which I began to do during that second prison sentence uh, and, and to be united with Christ ultimately in his church. I mean, most of the people, most of the Christians I was reading were Catholics by this time, by that second prison sentence, including St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and I knew that it, it, as and when, or if I became a Christian, it would be a Catholic at that point. But that's one such moment, the beginning of my prayer life, which, which I, as I say, began in prison. Were there any, yeah. or, or maybe what were the major barriers uh, like for me, the Marian dogmas were very difficult because I was a, I first came to Christ as a, a into a Baptist church was very anti-Catholic, and so of course they focus a ton on Mary. But were there any doctrines that were just more difficult for you? Yeah, actually, very similar. Not surprisingly, because although I was not raised. Uh, uh, a practicing Christian, and we never went to church except for weddings, we never prayed. Um, you know, I was an anti-Catholic <laughs> uh, anyway, and sort of a tribal Protestant. So when, when I was involved in Northern Ireland in the anti-Catholic movement over there, um, there was a song that we used to sing, which I, I, I won't, I won't um, inflict upon you my actual singing it, but I will give you the words. And you can imagine the, the song because it's actually sung somewhat bizarrely to the tune of Home on the Range. Um, and and the, the words are, no, no Pope of Rome, no chapels to sudden, sadden my eyes, no nuns and no priests, no rosary beads, 
every day is the 12th of July, which is a Protestant celebration. So I, I, so I inherited, although I wasn't a, a Protestant practicing Christian of any sort, I inherited uh, the worst sort of Protestant anti-Catholic bigotry. And so for me, the, the, the two main things are the, are the obvious ones. Yes, the Marian dogmas, um, uh, the position of the Blessed Virgin, uh, and the position of the papacy of the Pope, so so that they they were the two sticking points for me, and I think they, I, there was a, there was remnants of that uh, even after I crossed the threshold into the church, and that's sort of something which I I began to 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 get over. I would say one thing is that uh, Our Lady of Walsingham, which is a Marian apparition in England in 1061. Uh, was one of the major shrines of Christendom, um, and perhaps the major Marian shrine of Christendom, was only about 25 miles from where I lived in England, and I and I would walk or cycle to 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 her on pilgrimage often. So uh, my anti-Mary aspect of things was largely healed and cured by forming a relationship with her. So um, so I thank God for that, and she's still a favourite now I'm, of all the Marian apparitions. Uh, I think probably Our Lady of Walsingham is still the one that I, I feel most um, attached to. You know, when I first, this is a beautiful story. I'm so grateful to hear your deeper uh, reflections on your conversion. When I was converting, when somebody first discovered my path, they asked me to share my story. I sort of followed along with Scott Hahn and went the intellectual route because certainly that was a big part of my conversion. But then I began to reflect on people in my life who who really were instrumental in maybe first getting me to consider Jesus because they emulated Jesus in some way. Were there key people in your life who were bearing witness to what you were exploring intellectually? Yeah, so one thing I, I, I came to realize uh, in retrospect, that's why your, 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 your questioning at the end of the first segment was, was, was so uh, appropriate. Uh, in retrospect, I, I was con convinced for many years, even after my conversion, that my conversion process was entirely rational. And it was only later um, that I realized that the, what was going on simultaneously was a healing process. Uh, that the grace was at work that, 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 that um, was completely separate from the, the, the rational process uh, or harmonizing, dovetailing with it, shall we say. But yes, in my book, Race with the Devil, I talk about some people. And actually what it is for me wasn't I, the Catholics I met at first, but it was enemies who, instead of hating me, loved me. Oh. Uh, obviously, I, you know, I, I was, as an extremist, my idea was, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you attack me, I'm going to attack you, but perhaps I'll do it first as a preemptive strike. Um, so when, for, for instance, there was, um, there's an, there was an organization in England called the NCCL, the National Council for Civil Liberties, which is very similar to the ACLU over here. Uh, and I, I went there because our members uh, of our organization had been wrongfully, illegally imprisoned on, on buses by the police. And I, and I thought I want, I, what I wanted to do was to expose their hypocrisy because these people obviously were liberals. So I went and there was an American Jew. So American Jewish liberal, basically, you know, I, I haven't mentioned the fact that was also very anti-American. Um, so, you know, he is about as far from me. Uh, he's about the epitome of my enemy, this, this, this person, American Jewish liberal um, libertarian of sorts. Uh, and I told him the situation and I expected him to say, well, what do you expect uh, uh, me to do when you're a neo-Nazi? Who cares? But on the contrary, he saw that, you know, that he, he practiced what he preached. 
the civil liberties should be for everybody, uh, irrespective of their political beliefs. The rest of his colleagues uh, disagreed with him because they didn't want to be uh, seen to be helping pariahs uh, like me. And he resigned his position. I actually lost him his wow. job. Wow. Um, and, and, and so this act of love on, on his part um, was, had a profound impact upon me. And there was another one, was a, was a, a punk rocker, one of the leading punk rock groups of the, the 70s. I appeared on national radio with him debating, and we were obviously arguing. He was involved with the anti-Nazi league, and I was obviously on the other extreme. But after the show, he came up, shook my hand, and asked me if he could buy me a beer. And again, this was not what I expected, right? I, I expect somebody to want to punch me on the nose, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it was acts of love by people whom I considered to be my enemies that actually made me, that broke down those barriers of hatred. I always say when I give my testimony, love builds a bridge over which truth can pass. And oftentimes we try to give people intellectual reasons but we, we won't implicate ourselves in the lives of others. These two men, wow, did they implicate. One implicated himself in, the, in, the, in your life such that he lost his job, and the other that he was just willing to cross some very uncomfortable boundaries. Both of them loved you more than the discomfort and the disdain they probably had for your beliefs. I mean, yes, absolutely. I definitely have my beliefs, and, and, and of course they, were, they would have been unaware of the healing quality of that act of love and, and forgiveness and reconciliation on their part, which was a language I did not understand or speak at the time. But you, you can only understand and speak that, that sort of language if you see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have, to, you have to experience it. And that's that's what these two people you know, did for me. And I'm, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful to, to both of them for that. Yeah, what just comes to mind, and it's so beautiful, is that our God is a God of peace. He is peace itself. And, and seeing the power of just reaching beyond ourselves to just bring a, a place of peace, then the Lord can work, you know, if we'll give him that space. And that's just so evident in these stories. So um, yeah. I'm just so grateful for your testimony. It's fascinating. Um, I, I just believe it'll be a true light for so many people um, that maybe struggle to get from the intellectual uh, to the mystical, to the heart piece, and um, just the power of, of your writing and your testimony. Thank you so much for what you do. And we're just so grateful to have this new, awesome friend in our life. Yeah, yeah, My pleasure. I, I, I do want to say very briefly that you are both a great blessing to me. So thank both of you. Thank you. You can find more about Joseph at jpierce.co. His book, Race with the Devil, My Journey from Racial Hatred to Rational Love, published by Tan Books. I'm sure you can find it at EDBTN's Religious Catalog. Pop over to spiritualdirection.com on YouTube, and you'll see a part two of the show where we'll jump into the beautiful uh, literary tradition that Joseph illuminates for us to help us also uh, understand how we can bring people to the Lord and understanding His will and ways through great Catholic literature. So until next time, may the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Learn more about the interior life. Visit spiritualdirection.com. Divine Intimacy Radio is a co-production of EWTN Radio and spiritualdirection.com and heard worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.